So Colton, how do you know you've uh, felt God's presence? So, whenever I feel like one time I went down to the altars and I started speaking in tongues and I I know I hear the language coming out of my mouth. I don't really know what it is. I I know I can stop it, but I don't really want to because it's not something that just happens all the time and I think that I um I can enjoy this presence with God, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Good. So, yeah, I asked Colton, I said, so that, that's what I've experienced. It's like, I know I can stop it. So I almost, sometimes the enemy tries to convince me, did, was this real? Because I always kind of thought, even though I've been taught right, I thought, well, but it should be something I can't control, right? It's really something that, that God does to me, and it's just so awesome, and I can't do anything about it. But the truth is, is that one of the evidences when we are baptism of the Holy Spirit is that we, the, the sense, the feeling what God's doing in us, we don't want to stop. We don't want to stop. We know that something awesome is happening to us, so we just release that. And we've been talking about in the service about just releasing yourself to the Spirit. But, you know, you're turning over your will because you have free will. God's given you the ability to choose not to do that. He's given you that right, if you will. And so it's awesome to, to know that you're doing something that the Heavenly Father is, that the Holy Spirit is doing through you that's awesome, that's changing you, and you have control to stop it. But you're just, it's like Christmas time, if you will. Handed this present, you could say, I don't want to know what's in the box. No, thank you. But that feeling of you're like, I can't wait to see what this is going to, this is, you know, and, and other, with the Holy Spirit, I can't wait to see what this is going to do in my life. And so that the anticipation that God is doing something miraculous in your life, something supernatural, and you don't want to stop, that's great. Who's next? It might sound a little weird, but sometimes my... My skin feels cool sometimes, like there's a burst of, well, yeah, anyway, sometimes when I think it, you know how it's kind of hot in here sometimes? It's they all know that, they all know yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> after, after a while, um, sometimes... It's just this cool, cool feeling, like fresh, fresh, cool air. Kind of like there's a breeze in here. Yeah. And so he described when I felt the wind of the Holy Spirit, we talk about that. And so if I told a new believer, well, you need to feel the wind of the Holy Spirit, like the wind of the Holy Spirit. Now, I could take that real juvenile there, but I'm not going to go there. But what are you talking about, the wind of the Holy Spirit? But I have felt that when I've, I've told the story, when I first was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I wasn't seeking that. In fact, I was slaying the Spirit. When we talk about slaying the Spirit, I fell over backwards. My head hit a big wooden altar like this, bounced off that, hit the floor, never felt that, never had a bruise, never hurt, continued, hands raised the whole time, speaking tongues. When I got up, it was like I grew up in Nebraska, and we'd walk out on one of those. It had that, that drier cold, not the wet cold we have here, and you'd breathe in that fresh air and almost be so sharp. It almost hurt, but it was good fresh air, and you just felt that I was breathing that all day long. It wasn't the next day, but that day I knew God had done something supernatural because I was breathing air, and it was summertime. It didn't match, you know. And Caleb had described that cool breeze uh, of the, the wind of the Holy Spirit. And we know from Acts they talked about a mighty rushing wind coming in. So 
uh, very biblical. I told him, said, your answers are right in line with God's word and, and how we experience that. So, Lily. Well, when I feel the presence of God, I, when you get all, like, when it's church time and you've, uh, when you just fall down on your knees and get all emotional, I think that's, that's, um, that's what, how I feel the presence of God. Yes. So Jennifer and I had prayed for Lily Jean, even at a young age, that she would experience the Holy Spirit. And there had been a couple of times, but there's one we were over at Word of Life for a, a youth event. And uh, I watched, and she was just down on her knees and lip, lips quivering. And you could just see the presence of God over her. And, and so I've, I've known some, and it's not always ladies, but I've known some that they just, that very, very emotional and just can't hardly contain themselves. And even last night when she was talking about it, she was tearing up, and I could see the lip starting to curl a little. And she, you know, that, that because that memory of that experience with God becomes very emotional. So, so while we teach, it's not all about emotion. That's not what we're just going for, emotion. But emotion is the product of that. We'll talk about that a little more after the panel discussion. Jen? I think sometimes it's different in different uh, situations. It depends on where you're at or um, who you're with, if you're with the body. But... Uh, sometimes I feel an incredibly overwhelming peace and safety like nothing can hurt me in this moment. God is, he's with me. And, and other times my heart races and I'm like, become super aware. You need to listen. I'm getting ready to say something. I'm getting ready to do something. You need to be ready. So I think it's, I think it's different in different situations. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, kids. And thank you, Jen. So, you know, the, the, the thing is here is uh, there may be some that, uh, honestly, we, we make the assumption wrongly that everyone has experienced the presence of God. We know the presence of God is here because some of us are feeling that. What we're going to talk about in the sermon today, we're having the sermon and worship last, but is the fact that if you're not sensing it, don't think there's something wrong with me. The thing is the presence of God never leaves us. It's, he's always with us. So it's not matter whether he shows up or not, because I remember that church lingo. Boy, I hope God, I hope that Holy Spirit shows up today. And I realized along, we, we shouldn't be talking that way, because that confuses the believers, because the truth is, biblically, the Holy Spirit is always there. I, I've used an analogy about three years ago. I remember I was looking through old sermons, and I talked about if you had a river this deep running right through this church right here, is very strong. And you've seen those low water bridges. They don't look that deep, but you've got trees being swept, right? So it's a powerful river. But when you get to the banks a little bit, there'll be these little coves and things, right, that are just a little calmer and calmer. And you put your foot in there, but you go further in. You're like, whew, and you, you're in, right? And I, I've described my experience sometimes as being like, well, I've been a little resistant. And so I could feel something. I might feel that breeze. I might feel that safety. I might feel that. And, and then... And then I'm like, well, that's good. I'm, I'm coming a little more. And then all of a sudden, when I release my will completely, the Holy Spirit, I get swept into it. And that's when you see things like being slain in the Spirit or uh, the Holy Spirit, if filling with baptism, the Holy Spirit speaking tongues, you're totally immersed. You haven't been taken control over. You've just finally released all that stuff of the world where you're willing and ready and wanting so bad. You're desperate for something from God where... You finally, all your inhibitions, all your pride, all that stuff just gone, and you just, and you go. It's those voices in our head that while I'm talking now could be saying, that's just not me. You understand, Pastor, I'll never be that one laying on the floor. 
I'm telling you, that's, that is the deal. That is, that is the battle. That is where the enemy is camped, is in our mind, trying to talk us out of experiencing all of God. Now I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert because in my sermon there's a quote, and I'll tell you who it is later, that, that talks about the fact that, that the Spirit of God, like I said, is always there. But it's just whether we're willing to experience the Spirit, right? And then that is the battle, not whether the Spirit's there or not, but whether we experience, about, experience the Spirit of God. And so, and so we have been on the spiritual journey. We've been talking about this, about looking, wanting a spiritual awakening. We're not praying for revival because not everybody that comes through the doors of our church has had something alive to revive. All right? Not everybody in the church has had, and when I say that, and, and it's okay to laugh because, I mean, it, it is a funny statement, but for the person who hasn't, it can feel a little offensive because they're like, what do you mean I'm dead? What do you mean I've never experienced that? We're not making a judgment call on you as a person or your value or anything. What we're saying is that some of us have experienced God in such a way that we want so bad for you to experience it because once you do, and part of that quote is, the difference is once you do, you never want to be without it. Come and drink from this well, you'll never be thirsty. We know that that was the, wor- the words of Jesus. We know that that's what Jesus wants for us. So I want to, I want to take a moment, and this, um, because of the quick change around last night, there, there is a, a, a big part of the inspiration of this message that comes from, to me, a, a very unknown preacher, but I just started searching about the presence of God, and I found uh, this sermon by Rick uh, Ezel, and maybe you know who he is, but he's pastor of First Baptist Church, uh, Greer, South Carolina. But um, it was right on cue. I mean, from the discussions I've had about this with folks and my kids and everything, I was like, Lord, here, here we are. Uh, if you want to turn your Bibles, Exodus chapter 33, we'll reference it briefly through the message, but that's kind of the foundation, if you will, of this uh, sermon. Exodus chapter 33, it's 12 through 23, verses 12 through 23. I mean, here's the goal. We want to long for God because we want to be in his presence. And I want to explain this morning that while we live in God's omnipresence, when we worship, we experience his revealed presence. In other words, God is omnipresent. It means he's always present everywhere, all the time. But in worship experience, what we're desiring is his, his revealed presence, that we actually, it's revealed to us. It's that presence of God that we long for in worship. So George Barna did a survey, uh, surveyed thousands of church-going Christians, and the question was asked, have you ever experienced God in a worship service? We're talking about, I mean, thousands of of churchgoers, different churches. Only one-third said that they regularly experience God in church. Only one-third. Two-thirds of those people, the thousands of uh, different churches, they say that they experience God's presence regularly. William Hendricks', Hendricks book, Exit Interviews, at Walmart, if you're quitting, they do an exit, exit interview. And that's basically find out your experience there and probably why you're quitting and all, and that helps them figure out how they retain talent and all that. But his book, it's about why today's generation is leaving the church. His exit interview is about why why today's generation is leaving the church because they know that at college age that we have a mass exodus of the church right now. Our churches are using young people. Our district leadership 
for the Assemblies of God at the, re, at the recent sectional council. So all of Arkansas has sections of churches, and he was speaking to our section, but he was on tour to speak to everyone. And he is, uh, I don't know, Dad, how, would you, how old would you guess uh, Brother Moore to be? Uh, late 60s? Late 60s. So he, he's not of the younger generation. And when he preaches, you know he is definitely not of the younger generation. He is fireball. I mean, it is old-time Pentecostal preaching. And I love to hear him preach. But he fired away at this last one that talked about the stranglehold that some of our folks in the churches may have on our churches. They're having to revitalize churches because people are saying this is the way we've always done it. We're going to do it this way. We're going to keep doing this way until we finally get what we used to get. And they're not connecting with the culture today. And the, the churches, they're literally having to close some churches because the community, they're not having souls saved for years. And it's dwindling down to just a few people who want to control what happens there, and they're having to close it down and restart the church sometimes because the church has gotten to know, been known for that so much that even if they brought in new leadership, even if they tried to do everything, some of those places, it's so attached to that building and that place that they can't ever get anything going there. And so literally, uh, and it's, it's caused some uproars with people, but some of those churches they've started, souls are getting saved. People are coming in. They're starting to minister community. And so the question, we had a worship team meeting yesterday, and I said, the question is, at what point do you stand your ground and hold your pride and say, we're going to keep doing it until something works? Or you say, God, am I, am, do I need to change? And so we, we're seeing from this Barna survey that if one, uh, two-thirds of the people surveyed here, that could probably be a pretty large encompassing thing, you know, in the United States worldwide, that are not regularly experiencing the presence of God and we know that God's omnipresence, he's always there, then why aren't they experiencing God's presence if it's already there? Why? That's where I tend to get in trouble with people when I'm preaching because I'm just that naive. I see something that doesn't seem to be working, I just ask why. And people sometimes get angst because they're like, you're challenging the way we've always done it or the way it's always been. No, I'm just saying, I want souls saved. I want Jesus, the main thing, to stay the main thing. I want souls saved. I want people going to heaven with us. I want to know how God wants it done. I don't care about anything else. Just tell me how God wants it done. William Hendricks' book, X Interviews, he summarized the views of many worship dropouts and perhaps says this, perhaps the most common complaint was that worship services were boring. That's what he says in his book. It, it was not just that these gatherings were not interesting, they were not worshipful. They did little to help people meet God. And I'm thankful for uh, uh, a vast amount of people in this church worship who have been leading us worship. And we get complimented on worship here. And people are, are experiencing worship. And we're looking at anything we can do to do better. I mean, we're not stopping with, well, we arrived. You know, we're looking at do better. But Sally um, Morgenthaler, I always have a problem with that name, but writing, uh, her writing in Worship Evangelism says, when worship services that are not worshipful, uh, when the worship services are not worshipful, people not meeting God, people not being allowed to participate in a worship relationship with God, it is as if they, the very essence of worship has been quietly removed. The most significant benefit of a worship service is connecting with God. It does not matter how chatty and interesting the celebrity interviews are how captivating the drama, how stunning the soloist, or how relevant the message. When personal interaction with God is absent, church, church loses much of its appeal. That's from page 23 of her book. So, so it goes along with what I've been, been saying that, look, 
Um, I had our RVers, Oscar and Judy Vilhauer, she talked to me before she left that at one time she felt like giving a message in tongues in a church. She said, but I wasn't sure how, how you guys do that because I've been in a church one time where if you'd had that, you had to come up and ask the pastor, tell the pastor what, that you wanted to have a message in tongues and then he would tell you whether you could or not. And I said, oh no, how'd you get that idea that we'd do that here? So I was just seeing it before. And I, and I thought, man, I, I think I'm being abundantly clear. But I've had a couple other questions about about how we feel about that. And I'm like, maybe I'm not. Let me tell you, we are crying out. I am almost begging on my knees for us to release ourselves to the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit to move in this place. And the Holy Spirit's moving. Let me rephrase and come along with what God's message is for us today is that we would be released into that. We would release our will. That be, We'd be willing to experience that. And sometimes I've been willing, I feel like I'm still not feeling it, but there might be stuff in my life keeping me from feeling it because God's saying, you got a clean little house. Because my presence can't come in to that mess. First, you might need to repent and, 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 let, and ask for forgiveness so that we can start afresh. When was the last time you experienced the presence of God in a worship service? True life-changing encounters with the living God are missing from many of our churches. I felt it uh, last Wednesday. I felt it the Sunday before. And I felt it especially for sure the Wednesday before that. One of the greatest needs among churches today is not new programs, new seminars, new, a new study. What is needed today is an encounter with God. And we desperately need a life-changing glimpse of greatness, of, of the awesomeness, the wonder, the, the power, the mercy, the goodness, and the loving kindness of God. You know, when, in our discussion yesterday, we were talking about some songs where we say things like, what does that mean? Can I, can I do the spoiler? The grace blood broken, it's really good. Because this just happened, like we were having a discussion, and, and Andrew brings a song by Matt Redman and says, well, we'd like to do this in young adults and college career, and it, it's called Gracefully Broken. And someone, Belinda uh, uh, says, I love that song too, but I, then she was asked by someone, what does Gracefully Broken mean? And we start talking and said, what does that mean? If you're going to sing it, you need to know what you mean. And pulled up, and the writer of the song had an explanation that, that God, when he breaks you, he has such grace that he doesn't just tear you apart and leave you broken. He does it gracefully. He breaks you to the point where he can fill you. He's, he's, he's graceful. So, so understanding what we're looking for. And the title of the message today is God's presence and worship. What are we asking for? When we tell people to, to experience God's presence, what are we asking for? So number one, what is worship? And we've defined this recently. I've had recent messages on worship, so I'm not trying to re rehash everything there, but what does worship mean? Well, when you mention the word worship, it continues, uh, it conjures up all kinds of images in people's minds. Everyone may have a different view of what worship is because of their past experience in church, good or bad. We've actually had no multiple discussions, not solicited. People bring up about bragging on the worship here, and then they want to, then they want to tell us how it wasn't so good where they were before. And, and you know, I listen to that, but really it's uncomfortable because I'm not competing with other churches. I don't want to, it breaks my heart if I hear that another one, they, they felt that way. And it may be true or it may have just been their perception, but it, it's hard to hear. I want to assume that all the great things we're experiencing here, every church is. Simply stated, worship is declaring the worth of God. Your choice on whether you enter in fully headlong, everything, heartlong into worship is whether you're willing to express the worth of God with your lips, with your actions, everything. The word worship comes from the old English word that means worth-ship. W-O-R-T-H, ship, worth 
worship. So with that definition in mind, we, we don't worship God for what we get out of it, but, we, but to give God the honor that is due Him. Recognizing His worth, His value, His place in our church, and His claim on our lives. Worship, therefore, is not a weekly pep talk to rally the troops and win the contest. But honestly, in our hearts sometimes, that's what we think we're longing for. Um, Chelsea and I had a conversation for a church about when you go to start some new ministry in church, um, they're starting to pull together young mothers. And, and so you have to go through a trial another time because there's a need to fill in this situation, young mothers, we have, we have some babies in this church. That's awesome. We have some very cute, the cutest babies I think we ha- of anywhere. Um, well, one of them is my nephew, Easton, so that's a little unfair. But yes, we have the cutest babies. Um, he is. He is the cutest. His, one of his grandpas says so. But there's a need that they, they have, but you don't always discover right away how to fill that need. So like when we start men's ministry, you know, at first it'd be, well, we only had one guy, so do we cancel? No. I found out you don't do that because if we had one guy at that meeting, we cancel. Everybody begins to think, well, there's not a lot of worth in that because obviously nobody else saw it and they canceled it. And so by these little, these little signals we send people sometimes, we show whether we find worth or not in it. And this is why the, the biggest thing that can kill this church is the experienced people who are experienced in worshiping God hold back and the young people don't see the worth in giving God worship for his worth. If you hold back, you have the responsibility before God. This is the part where I'm going to step on your toes. If you hold back, you have the responsibility before God. You will stand before him, and you will likely say to some of these young faces, I pray that they'll be there. But he may show you those young faces and say, you knew in your heart you were stirred. My spirit stirred you, and you held back, and you didn't let them see. Remember what they had, God had to tell the people of Israel, his people? Write it on the back of your hands. Write it on your foreheads. Because why? What was the risk? The next generation will never know the glory of God and what he did for them if they don't show them and tell them. We have a heavy responsibility, adults, to quit sitting back and saying these altars are not for us. I'm going to hit you right between the eyes now. You have a heavy responsibility. I'm going to tell you, and this is not to be a downer, this church has been full of young families in the past, and we've slowly started to lose them. We've got some now. We still have some lifeblood in it. But we can strangle this church to death if we keep resisting when the Holy Spirit moves on us. Because the young people have no clue. And you know what? Some of them are asking. What does it mean to press in? What does it mean to feel the presence of God? And they won't know, but yet you've experienced it. And you know God led you out of the wilderness and he took you across on dry land and he killed the enemy in front of your eyes. And yet you're going to hold back and you're going to rob the next generation of what you saw and you experienced because it's past your time? No! This is the time to bring it. We've got a school right next door to us. We've got a high school down the street. We've got 20 high school students coming over to a construction project. They aren't going to see it even if they come to our church if you hold back. So I don't know how more clear, I hope everyone's listening to me and I don't get this question. I don't know how more clear I can be. The freedom of the Holy Spirit to move in this place is wide open. From the leadership on down. Anybody that tries to hold it back, you know, if there's something inappropriate, I'll deal with it. Let that ride on me. You don't have to worry about it. Okay? We talked about that yesterday in worship. It rolls uphill in this situation. And I deal with the messes. So that's why I'm very careful about adding people to a ministry team. 
because I've already been down that road. It's not fun sitting in the office having to tell them they can't do it anymore because they're not at a spiritual maturity level they can, and they're damaging the testimony of the church. So we've talked about that. And in the same instance, you have this responsibility that if we aren't careful, we will damage the testimony of this church because there'll be nothing to talk about. There'll be no testimony to share. You have to have something that people want. And our young people have to have something to want. But what are they going to want if they don't see it? So is it my, and this is where this is going to sound self-serving, please hang with me a minute and you'll feel better about it after I say it, but is it my fault as a pastor? I don't know anything else I can do but get on my knees like I am and crying out to God. But I'm getting nitpicked sometimes by, the, by a lot of things. And I'm not saying... I'm not saying y'all are. I'm just saying even people outside the church nitpicked about how I'm leading. And I'm like, I don't know what else I can do. I didn't really want to be on a roof for three months. I didn't want that. I don't want it now. I want to be a pastor. But listen, somebody's got to do it. If we can't afford it, would you rather be in uh, uh, debt up to our necks and stressing every week about, about how we're going to pay the bills or do we need to get done? It's a season. Hang with me. I said this last time. Hang with me. i got so much stir in my spirit. I want to see this church grow. I want to reach the lost. I want to go after that high school, both barrels blazing. I want to kick the enemy square in the teeth and make him hurt so bad he wants to run. I've got that fire burning in me. I've been raised by a heritage that was God-ordained. I have my parents sitting in this place. I've got uncles that have gone before, the, before me who started churches and tents and are the reason my parents met. I've got this rich history. God has ordained this whole thing, not because of me. He's using what he's got to work with, and this is what he's got right now. And I'm not leaving. And you can, you can not like the way I'm doing it, and I'm doing my best, and I'm not perfect. But I'm just telling you, I need people to stand up and be willing to do things that are not comfortable right now so that our young people don't suffer because of it. Thank the Lord I, don't pre- I didn't not preach in the sermon I was going to preach. Worship's not a motivational seminar to make us feel good about ourselves. Worship's not the Christian alternative to a Saturday rock concert uh, or Beethoven symphony. Like I said, you can have the smoke, you can have the lights, you can have none of it, and you can have the piano, and you can have the organ, you can have all that. It won't matter how you dress it up if you are not willing yourself to be an example of getting down on your knees or raising your hands or shouting it out. And, and Miss Robin's not here in this service, but if you met Miss Robin in the wheelchair, I said... I told our worship team, I said, you want to know how serious I am about not caring how good we sound compared to what we, how we're going about worship? I said, I didn't always stand in the back sometimes during worship. But I started doing it when I started feeling a shift that we need to do some things different. Not anything wrong with the past, just there's a new season coming and God wanted some changes and I'm trying to follow that and figure it out. And I'm standing back there and hearing Miss Robbins sing and she has struggles to talk. So when she sings, it's broken and it's... And some people might say, wow, well, that doesn't sound like the worship team. I said, I would rather have a stage full of Miss Robbins leading worship because I know what her heart is doing when she worships and I know where she's at in her spirit. And I'd rather have that. I do not need musicians. I do not need musicians. I do not need musicians. I need people connectors who love Jesus and want to see the lost saved. And that's who will be put up here in front of you. And that's who will lead you in worship. We don't have time to mess around. In the last days, we don't have time to mess around. It's like Ken's heart when he says there's too many kids in the foster care system to quit building houses, and he works himself tirelessly, and his family sacrifices time with their dad, and I'm sacrificing time with my kids because we don't have time to waste. 
God's opened this opportunity wide open where we're located. It's a beautiful piece of property that God ordained long before anything else happened on that land for us to stand on that, just like the children of Israel. We, are, we have been facing for six years that land. We've been worshiping, raising our hands, worshiping God, and he's been pointing us the whole time, even before, before we closed on that land. Well, actually, that's not, well, he did, but we didn't know because we closed on it when Pastor Jim passed away that day and we were still in the school. But he has ordained the spot. Worship occurs when people encounter God who love them, who loves him, who loves people and desires a relationship with them. Robert Weber, in his book, Worship, Old and New, says it succinctly when, when that worship is a meeting between God and his people. A meeting between God and his people. Worship does not lead to an encounter with God. It is an encounter with God. It is the encounter with God. Worship is the encounter with God. When we worship God, whether on our, uh, on our own or in a church, we, we come with an agenda. We should come with an agenda to meet God. We should come Saturday in our hearts. We should come Friday in our hearts. We should come Monday through Thursday in our hearts saying, when I get there Wednesday and Sunday, I've had my time with the Lord and I'm ready to let it loose with my brother and sister Christ so we can just practice heaven a little bit. If worship is about encountering the presence of God, a simple question I would ask you this, and this is for those of you, if you have a question whether you feel the presence of God. Isn't God's presence always with us? Here, the reality of God's presence is this. The reality of God's omnipresence, of course, God is always with us. It says in Psalms 139.8, If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. This is the reality of God's omnipresence. God's universal presence is, mar- is a marvelous fact of life. His omnipresence. Have you seen the sun rises and sunsets this year? I've taken some pictures of them. Just, it blows me away. It's like, have they always been there like that? Or is God doing something a little extra? Because I just never... When I'm standing on that roof out there working at sun, sunrise, and then I, that same day I, might be, I get to get, see both sometimes from a great view. We don't have a lot of trees out where we're at, and so... You know, it's just cross rooftops. I'm just seeing the sunrise and sunset. I'm like, the, the, magnific- the magnitude of God's omnipresence, that he is in everything that is pure and holy and good. God's universal presence is a marvelous fact of life. We cannot escape the presence of God. Sometimes we're blind to it, but never for a minute think that God's presence is not with us. It's that person who works in the high-rise sky, skyscraper who is so busy on the phone and trying to climb the ladder that they've hardly ever turned around and looked at their window when they're working those late hours and see the beauty of God's creation. It's that farmer who's been out there so focused on, on raising his cows and, and, that, and, and, and doing this and just doing that and doing this and, and, and getting more upset about all the way the world's going but doesn't take the breath to stop and say, Look at these animals and how he's provided and the awesomeness of what he's done. God promised Moses, my presence will go with you in Exodus 33, 14. My presence will go with you. God promises to manifest his presence in a special way when we worship. For, there, for, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. And see, Matthew 18.20 seems to contradict Matthew 28.20 because Matthew 28.20 says, and remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. 
So the first one, for there are two or three gathered together in my name, there I am. So it sounds like if there's not two or three gathered together in my name, I'm not there. But then it, it talks about he's always there. So is it a contradiction or is it interpretation? And I will tell you, my belief is always, if you think there's a contradiction, you've misinterpreted. You've missed the point. Why would Jesus promise to be present conditionally when two or three are present in my name if he also promises to be with us also because he's part of the Trinity and he doesn't do anything different than his Father does? The only logical explanation is that Jesus is speaking about a different kind of presence in the first passage. Something more than just God's omnipresence because he, he can't be anything other than everywhere because of his awesomeness, but the reality of God's revealed presence. That's what we're asking for in a worship. When the title of the message is God's presence in worship, what are we asking for? We're asking for the presence that's already there to just be revealed. Reveal your presence, God. Very scriptural. We see examples of, of that. Lamar Botchman calls this type of presence the revealed presence of God, an unusual relay, revelation of God's essence in a certain location. When we pray for revival, that's really what we've been praying for. We end up praying that God does something that he did before, but really and truly, all we can ask God to do is not to dig up the past, but to say, God, reveal your presence now, because I, I've known it to be revealed before, and it's awesome. And however he chooses to do that, that's up to him, but, but reveal your presence some refer to it as God's manifest presence. So this is where young people, we, they'll say, what's the manifest presence? Well, well, young people, that's what that is. It's when manifest presence is when God gets so real. His presence is there, but when he opens up the doors and we are able to finally see it. We're not blind anymore. It ha it ha something happens to us. It's like what my kids were describing. If kill breeze comes over you when you know the room's hot and, and it happens every time you're worshiping the Lord or a, a lot of times or begin to speak in a heavenly language and you don't want to stop it, um, or God just creates such emotion in you, he just draws you to your knees. Brownsville Revival talked about people who are unbelievers walking in and because of the presence of God, literally falling to their knees. hitting. Now that revival's not going anymore. And so it's people discount that. No. We're, we're asking God to do something here. He's done it before. So it's just a matter of we're always asking God, help us to get rid of the junk in our lives so we can stay in that. Help us to not get so full of ourselves or prideful or, or bit too busy. Uh, remove our blindfolds. In corporate worship, God desires to remove our blindfolds and give us an extraordinary, breathtaking glimpse of divine radiance. Luke 5, 17 through 26 records an example of both in God's omnipresence and God's revealed presence. Jesus was there. His, his omnipresence was there in the midst of this crowd that had come to hear him teach. But notice verse 17 when it says, and the Lord's power to heal was in him. Luke 5, 17. The NIV, tra uh, NIV translates it this way. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Luke 5, 17. Luke recognizes something different. Yes, Jesus was present. Physically, he was with them. God, the Father, his Son, I mean... Part of the Trinity is there on earth in front of them. Part of the discussion I had with my kids last night is I keep reminding them, you know, the one of the questions says, I used to question whether God was real because I couldn't see him or hear him or touch him. But I said, listen, if we believe God's word's true and we know that there are even atheists who say some of the events of the Bible happen, they just question how they happen. Parting Red Sea, well, it just dried up. 
it was a wind came through, you know. So they do that. They do that song and dance. But so that's the sides of the fence. But the, the question is not whether Jesus was real. The question is, is whether he was the son of God. That's where the dividing line is. Whether the miracles said that he performed were miracles or there was an explanation. But what I'm telling you is this. Jesus was there, and we talk about this often, the son of God, and yet the Christians, or the God followers, were the ones to crucify him because they wouldn't believe who he was. So even if he's here in front of us and we see him, we might kill him. So faith is not about seeing and feeling and touching to prove to you. Faith is saying, I want to experience God and I will leave it up to him how that happens, but I desperately need to experience him. And that will be, that will be what fuels my, my faith is because I know he's with me. I know his word is true and I'm going to stand on that and I'm going to believe to experience him. But Luke noticed something more, something different. He noticed a power, Jesus' manifest presence that was in attendance too. God revealed, God's revealed presence was there too, and it was God's revealed presence that healed the paralytic that was brought to Jesus that day. And it was his revealed presence that caused everyone to be astounded, and they were giving glory to God, and they were filled with awe and said this. This is what... When you talk about people experiencing God in church, so everybody's leaving the church, heading to the buffet, and this is what this is what the chatter was. This is what the chatter was. We've seen, we have seen incredible things today. Now, I'm gonna throw a different spin on this. Luke 5:26 is what that was. That is the presence we long for in worship. The paralytic was healed. There was people got there's awesome omnipresence of God, but the revealed presence of God was there. And what they had to say about it is we've seen something awesome today. Sometimes in church, we think that God can show up in this mighty way. We have this huge revival. We have the experience of God. And it's just going to, every single person is just going to receive it and take it. Some of them, all they're going to be able to say about it is, I've seen something awesome today. And some of us get disappointed and say, well, that wasn't really revival until everybody's just snotting and falling on the floor. The truth is, God is there. His presence is there. He's, he's saying, any of you who are willing, if you, Andrew, if you want it, you come after it and you share that stuff. I'll give it to you. It doesn't matter whether anybody else takes or not. I'll, I'll give it to you. The church doesn't have to have revival happen everywhere because it's up to everyone whether they receive it. But if there's one, and that's why we don't cancel things when there's only one showing up because it could be that one. I wonder how many times Billy Graham may have showed up at something where he was the only one there. And what if they'd given up on him and said it's not worth just one? That's the presence that we long for. This extra glimpse of God we crave, we want it, we need it, we feel it, we sense it, to experience it, to taste it, and to, and to touch it. And when we do, like the paralytic, we, we will forever be changed. So what is needed in worship? If you could ask God for anything, what would it be? Stop and take a breath for a moment and think about that question. If you could ask for anything from God, what would it be? You got it? What would that be? If you could ask God for anything for yourself, what would it be? And then I'll tell you, what we ask for says a lot about ourselves. Hopefully you're rejoicing aside, but if there's a little prick of the Holy Spirit that says, you're focused a little bit too much on just getting and not what the, what the purpose of it is. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to experience God. 
not to hang on to the fuzzy doodads for myself because I want to see souls saved. Everything that should drive us here is about winning the lost. Not trading church members from the Bible Belt. Not going into the draft picks every year. Well, there's some upheavals in some churches around here, and there's some good people that got disappointed. Maybe we'll get some of them. Maybe we'll get some of them. Some people have that opportunity to win the lost. Moses was one. Moses met with God and had the opportunity to ask him for anything in the universe. And Moses did not ask for food or drink or gold or silver, prestige or riches. Moses had a desire for something far deeper, higher, beyond himself, eternal, spiritual. Moses had two requests. Are you ready for them? First, Moses asked in Exodus 33, 13, teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. Not everything rides on whether my pastor is the best expositor of God's word or not, although that's important and he should keep working to be better and better. But God, you teach me your ways through all avenues, through my pastor, through my study in God's word, through, through what I see around me. Teach me every day. You know, I was thinking about this when I, I keep using the example on the roof because it has been three months. So it's a chunk of my year. But, you know, I'm putting these screws. There's, there's hundreds of these little pieces that I had to put in between each one of those ribs. Uh, Johnny knows he's helped me to lock the, the ridge caps on and everything. And it's tedious and you're sliding, hanging on for dear life and hoping you don't cut yourself and you put those screws in. You know, um, I guess in the natural I'd be thinking, okay, this screw goes here. And maybe that's what you think I'm doing. This screw goes here. I'm like, Lord, if you could just help these people that we, that we can just experience your presence. God, help me to be better at how I communicate. God, help me to be a better pastor because I disappoint people so often. God, help, 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 help. I really believe at least 30 to 40% of those screws I put in that building have a little prayer behind them. And I wasn't doing intentional like, I'm going to put a prayer behind every one of these screws. But it was just because up there, I'm away from all the conversations and the distractions and focus. And so I just begin that conversation with the Lord. A hunger. For, Moses had two requests, a hunger for God, he has teach me your ways. And the Amplified Bible translates it this way. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you or progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with you, you could say, perceiving and recognizing and understanding more strongly and clearly, or you could say that, and I, I may find and that I may find favor in your sight, that God's face would shine down upon what we're doing have favor and I probably let you in on too much sometimes, but I laid there last night and began to ball and told Jen, I said, and, and this morning I said, I just asked God, that tender-hearted boy that I was that just wanted to know you're real, I stood there at that altar until you slain me in the spirit, protect me, protect me from anybody or the enemy or anything that would try to steal that from me. I don't want to lose that. Don't let me get so caught up in ministry that I lose who I am in you and what I want. And what I want is I want you to teach me your ways. I want to know your presence that I might just find favor in your sight. But you might just look down and say, and I told Jen this, I said some of the things I feel like I'm failing at, I just pray, God, I hope that in your grace you say, I know, son. You're, you, you may be focused a little wrong sometimes, but, but when I started thinking about the scripture where he talked about you know, standing with the plumb line, when we think about Nehemiah with a sword and bricks in his hand, I get charged up and say, I just pray God is pleased. I'm finding a favor in sight because what I'm doing out there 
is part of his plan. As for a season, and I'll have different focus when it's done. Moses was interested in God's ways just because he desired information. His desire came from a heart of a worshiper that was saying, I want to sign up with you for life. Not just a chapter of it, I want to walk in eternity with you. So let me stop for a moment. Do you realize that you can experience God's grace without experiencing his presence? You can have an understanding that Jesus died for your sins and not ever have an intimate relationship with him. You can know facts and figures and dates and times and all kinds of study in God's word and still not really know the one who loved you first. What a shame to be saved and not really enter into the joy of knowing Christ. Sadly, people do it all the time and the statistics show it. The second thing Moses asked for was, please let me see your glory. Please let me see your glory. There's a song by Jesus Culture that says, show me your glory. And anybody who gets bored easily in worship would not like that they sing it like 50 times in a row. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Oh God, show me your glory. Like five, ten minutes. Show me your glory. You know, I get lost in that because you know what? I don't have to say a lot to communicate a lot to God. My heart is screaming out just one thing. I want, I want to show me your glory. I want to be in your presence. The Hebrew, Hebrew word for glory is Shabbat, which means God's honor, renowned majesty, weight, his, his visible splendor. The, the word glory used in this setting is closely related to the presence and the face of God. Moses wanted to behold God's face to face. He wanted a face to face with God. And he wanted a visible encounter with the living God. And he was not content with business as usual. He wanted God to show up in his life. So let's pause again. When you come to church, are you tired of business as usual? Are you, this is going to sound like an infomercial. When you come to church, are you tired of business as usual? Going through the motions. Showing up on Sunday. If you take this pill and your head falls off, you should consult a doctor. <laughs> Leaving the same way you came in. Coffee bar never has any different coffee. Are you tired of the fact that we don't sometimes not always know when we're going to have kids in ministry or not because it depends if we have volunteers. Are you tired of this? Don't you want God to show up in your life? We not only need to hunger for God, we need an encounter with God. The hunger is the precursor to the encounter. You'll never experience God if you resist at the very beginning and have no hunger for it. This encounter, this sense of God's supernatural presence, it transforms worship from a duty to, a de uh, to devotion. In other words, you become very loyal. You become very loyal to the Lord through this because you're like, I'm not coming to worship because it's part of church and I'm just supposed to do it. I'm coming because I want to uh, experience His presence because I know He wants to use me. And I can't imagine in that gift He has for me all the awesomeness and the fulfilling that is of working for His kingdom and knowing I'm doing something for the King of kings and Lord of lords. So I don't give up just because I don't like this or that about the church I'm at. I don't give up just because I have my preferences uh, and it's not being met. I don't give up because if God's called me to a place and told me this is where I'm supposed to be, then I'm along for the journey. I'm there because we are practicing for heaven where, where when the sin has gone and everything, we will have been able to count the numbers of souls that have come into the kingdom because of our labor. From a duty to devotion, from a ritual to relationship, from just another meeting to a holy gathering, God's attendance in our lives and our experience of him is the essence of real worship. So lastly, what do we need to do? Here, 
I'm trying to change this where we don't have five things, but one thing. Just like the worship team I met with, I'll be meeting with everybody that does any kind of teaching or preaching. We're going to try to simplify so you leave with one thing that God has asked you to do. But in this case, you're going to get five. Anticipate God's revealed presence in worship. So expect him and long for him. I can't be any more clear. If you don't start during the week expecting God to do something in your life, then, not just when you get to service, but it's not going to happen in service because you haven't expected anywhere. You're going to get blindsided by what God does in the service. You're going to come in and be like, wow, I think something happened, but I barely got into it. It's over, and so nothing really changed. You've got to expect. You don't go into a job trying to climb the ladder without an expectation, right? I'm going to come in here. I'm not going to expect anything from them. Just mag- magically one day they'll make me the CEO. I don't, have to, I don't have to have a drive or expectancy for that. It should just happen without my intention on it. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords, I expect because of what his word says, I'm going to experience him, so I'm going to come expecting. We've got to long for it. Number two, look for God's hand at work in worship. The kids are waiting for that. Some of them, I don't know where they learned it at first because we first started having the little, little ones come to the altars. I'm like, that hadn't happened in a while with adults. Where did? And I realized God's presence is here. And whoever yields will come. Whoever's pre- whoever will yield will come. You know, even if you're walking down here and just for a few minutes and you just say, I'm going to show an act of yielding to the presence, he'll do something in you. I, I busted my knee on one of the ribs on the roof recently, and it hurts the same when I kneel down and touch my knees to the floor now. And so I may not get down on my knees right now, and God can rex heal me. I may power through it. I don't know, but but it's not about the specific specific action. We got to do that, and that's the that's the key. It's everybody being willing to act out what God is doing in their hearts in whatever way He leads. Third, listen to for God's voice. I've never heard it audibly. I just know when He speaks to me. Over a lot of time, I've yielded to what we call the still small voice, and when we say that, it's a prompting. It's like just not an impulse. Because impulses would have no, impulses just don't seem to have any reason. You know, like they're just, but if I get prompted to share the gospel with a check, checker that seems like everything's fine, but then after I share it, they're in tears and then I find out that was a divine appointment. The next time I'm a little braver saying, I know how I felt that. I know what that is. I know what happens. I'm just going to release. I'm going to do it. Open yourself up, number four. Open yourself up to New manifestations of God's presence. If you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit with evidence speaking tongues, be open to that because God wants that for everyone. Number five, be sensitive to the leadership of God's Spirit. So in conclusion, let me close with two observations and we're going to spend time in worship. And you guys take the freedom. I, I, I preach over sometimes, so they're used to it. But, you know, um, we're going to get to worship. But let me close with two observations regarding God's presence in worship. Worship leader and composer Marty Nordstrom, um, N-Y-S-T-R-O-M. I'm not as familiar. Nordstrom. He says, I do a lot of traveling and witnessing on airplanes. And I've heard over and over again, well, I've been to church before. And yeah, it was good, but it's not really my thing. And he says, they probably went to the dead church. And I've had people say, well, I've read the Bible and it's a good book, but I, I study the Quran too and there's some, there's some wisdom there. But this is, what he, this is what he finishes with. But I've never had anyone look me in the eye and say, 
you know I've experienced the presence of God, and quite honestly, I don't want it. Never had anybody say that. No one has ever said that to me, he says, because people who experience the real presence of God are changed from the ordinary. They want more of him. It's always a result. You want these kids to experience what you did in the past? They weren't there. They have no reference point. Want these young people to experience what you've experienced? You've got to get over yourself and release your will and say, I'm not going to try to produce anything. We're not asking for that. I'm just going to keep going after God. I want, I'm going to be like Moses. God, I just want you to teach me ways. I want to know your glory. I want to see your glory. I want to be in your presence. And you don't give up. We don't cancel because one, only one showed up. I don't cancel because I went that Sunday and it didn't happen. I don't cancel that request because Wednesday it didn't happen the next Sunday. I'm going to keep going because it's that important to me. I'm that hungry. I'm that desperate. Uh, A.W. Tozer wrote this, the world is perishing for lack of knowledge of God and the church is, uh, is famishing for want of his presence. The instant cure for most of our religious ills would be, number one, to enter the presence in a spiritual experience. Number two, to become suddenly aware that we are in, uh, that we are in God and that God is in us. This would lift us out of our pitfall and our narrowness and cause our hearts to be enlarged. This would burn away the impulses from our lives as the bugs and the fungi were burned away by that fire that dwelt in the bush. An ordinary bush that God's presence showed up and, can, and, and kept burning and burning. And uh, the poor things that were in there, right? But, but there was things that didn't have anything to do with what God was doing and they were burned up. And the things in our lives that don't have anything to do with God, what he's doing, when we go after it, he'll burn that up. He'll burn that up. And then guess what? You're empty. And then guess what? You're ready to be filled. You're ready to be filled. You're ready to be filled. You can't keep uh, being skeptical about what's fake and what's real. Because listen, I went to Honduras on a trip. I was on an internship and uh, there for three months. And I was driving the Speed the Light missionary bus around. And we had like medical teams and high school teams come to do different things, building projects, medical things. And we had one medical team came. And they had what I believe was a lady came straight off a of TBN. She had the hair, the makeup, the whole thing. And here we are in this uh, poor community. And she was a, a gem. She was awesome just sensitive to the Lord and everything. And she was dolled up and you could smell the powder from about a block away. And she'd get in the back of that bus and everything she saw just caused her to begin to worship. But one time I was being honry. I was just learning enough Spanish to be dangerous. And so I was singing about the dog on the side of the road. But I was doing it like a worship song, singing about this and that. And next thing I look back, she's just in tears. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. I felt really guilty. It's like she doesn't know that I'm not singing a worship song in Spanish. I, in fact, it's probably not all Spanish. I don't know. But... Listen, we're sometimes so worried about messing things up. God wants that kind of heart that says, any opportunity I get, I'm going to worship him. I may not always understand everything. But I, I, I want him to help me understand. Like Moses said, teach me your ways. And if I make a mistake, God's a good heavenly father. So I, wanna, I just want to finish and, and worship team. I know you guys may have about 30 minutes worth and, and let's, let's do it this way. We're going to start worship and you just see if you can leave, Okay. When it's time, you, but I'm, Ken's like, what? No. But I'm just going to say, we're not going to have formal dismissal. We're going to worship. And if Ken gets a point, he feels like he can dismiss, that's fine. But part of the conversation last night with my kids ended this way. For whatever reason, we ended up talking about heaven. And we talked about, we talked about the fact that there's pearly gates and streets of gold. 
And it always kind of messed with me a little bit because I thought, what's the importance of that? You don't, you don't have commerce in heaven, I don't think. You know, we're not bartering, you know. Otherwise, people, if, and sin's not there, so nobody's going to steal a break. But what's, and then I told my kids, I said, you know, there's no mother, father. There's, there's no male or female in heaven, it says. And I really never caught on to that until I was an adult. But see, God's the only father we need. And I said, kids, when you go to Mama and Papa's and you have your cousins there and you have everybody, do you talk to us much? No. Does that mean you love us less? No. You don't really need us at that moment, right? We're not having to get on to you. You're in the company of others. You're just sharing all that's catching up on things. I said, can you imagine being there and Moses getting to ask him, say, Moses, really, how tall was the water on each side? Like, could you see fish? Like, how dry was the dirt, Moses? You know, heaven, the rejoicing, and all that we have to do up there, and, and there's no sin. So I said, you don't need me as a dad, but I'm still going to know you. We're going to love you, but I don't tell you what to do anymore. I don't have to. Because, see, what we experience on earth, the temporary, was made from heaven, not, this made, not heaven made from this. So that gold and those pearly gates, he didn't come and excavate it from earth to be able to make heaven. He made things on earth to just give us a little glimpse of what heaven was going to be like. So those clams that make the pearls and the, and the pressure and all that that makes the diamonds and all that stuff, he, he just made an awesome way to, to show, say, this is cool. We'll let you find it in the rough to see how precious those things are. But they weren't created first. Heaven, heaven is that place God wants to rescue from this. There'll be a new heaven, new earth. And... But the idea is this. Is we've got to quit focusing on the temporary here because this wasn't made forever. And those things of the Spirit that happen to us when the Spirit tries to move us and, 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 and push us forward, we get an opportunity every week when we are kind of sheltered from all the junk in our lives out there. And we have the support of each other, the purpose of the New Testament Church, to give it all to God. So let's worship him.